Welcome to Close Force, the podcast that loves Kirsten's Christmas hairstyle, but is really more of a Kit Kat Ridge when you get down to it. I'm your host, Amanda, and today I'm joined by someone you all know and love, a Close Horse all-star, if there ever was one, Meredith. Meredith, do you want to remind everyone of who you are? Well, besides being just the queen of Van Nuys, um, I am <laughs> We knew that. <laughs> just in case you guys were wondering, um, I have been lucky enough to be a guest on Close Horse multiple times. I think I've lost track, which is a lovely yeah. thing. Um, Amanda and I go back to the Wayback Machine. Uh, We work together at ModCloth, but um, by trade, I am a technical designer, so I'm all about fittings and pattern corrections and all that nerdy, fun fashion stuff. Um, But yeah, I'm so excited to be back and to be talking about the one, the only, American Girl Dolls. Oh yeah, this is going to be one for the history books, which is sort of a pun, I think. I'm not really sure. (laughs) I will tell you that you've been on for a lot of different episodes, and they've all been great. But the one that people message me about all the time, can you guess what it is? Is it the Halloween episode? No, it's Spencer's. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I mean, I get it, right? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that one was a good one. That that guy was really kooky, which kind of makes sense. So I will tell you, like, I went to a trade show twice this year that I'm not going to go to anymore for my current job, um, where, like, I can see now this is where Spencer's buys most of its stuff. I'm not even, like, (laughs) being facetious. Like, it's for sure. Uh People would talk to me and be like, well, Spencer's bought all of these. And I'd be like, oh, God, like, full body cringe. (laughs) Um, But, like, it was was exactly what you would expect, where it would be, like, Mm -hmm. mugs that are also bongs and, I don't know, just, you know, black. Light posters and uh, things that are vaguely dildos, but technically not. Like it was a lot of stuff like that, like r- adult novelties, if you will. Like, what what else? Like who else buys that stuff? Are we talking like head shops and the incest store in the in the mall? I said incense, not incest. By the way, I thought you said incest, um. and I was like, wait, like is there like a is there like a flowers in the attic concept store now? Because I'd probably go there just to say I did. <laughs> Keep it on the DL, okay? No one's supposed to know that. Yeah, it was so interesting. So it's this trade show that I've gone to twice now. It's called ASD. I don't know what it stands for, but it's like (laughs) gifts and novelties. And like Uh I would say half of it is for people who own convenience stores or like gift shops at the beach, right? And then Mm -hmm. there is a whole section that I have not walked in, but I've walked by and kind of wanted to go down, but I didn't want to waste my team's time which is strictly vendors who sell stuff to like 99 cent stores. Oh, um, wow. Which is pretty interesting. Yeah. And yeah. then there's a whole section in its own hall that's called Alternative Lifestyles, which I thought was going to be like a big gay zone. I was like really excited. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then it was actually just weed and it was like horrific. Oh, my um, God. And we were, we were like the only people there that were not like white dudes who were super high. It was very strange. <laughs> um but, like, in the gift section, it's, like, like I said, we're not going to go again because it just, like, doesn't make any sense. And I think it's really gone this one very specific Spencer's direction. But the other big company that comes to the show, I learned, is Dollar General. Oh, uh, yeah. So give yes, you an yes, idea yes. of the show. I'm going to be able to predict what Spencer's is going to have 
for holiday and spring, I guess. Please tell me it's more body stockings because I feel like, you know, that's like <laughs> the best thing you can buy from there. Perhaps <laughs> one with uh, marijuana leaves on them. Oh, that definitely saw great. it. Definitely saw it. I mean, I have <laughs> so many thoughts around, or at least concerns around why or how marijuana culture is so unesthetically pleasing and why Ugh. it hasn't really changed. Right? Yeah, I, I I just don't get it. Um, it's really confusing to me. Every once in a while, I'll go to a dispensary where I'm like, this is really cool. But if you're looking for merch of that variety, mm-hmm. it just like doesn't exist uh, yet. Yeah. Maybe someone will invent it and they'll make it here in the United States and it'll be like really ethically made. And then like I'll buy from them for my day job because uh, I'm looking for that. So holler at me. I think, um, <laughs> I think we just found a niche market. I mean, yeah. um, everything's been done before except dot, yeah. dot, dot. You know, yeah, exactly. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. But today we're going to talk about something way more wholesome uh, for the most part. And that is American (laughs) Girl dolls. And, you know, I I think of American Girl as an institution for Zennials and Millennials alike. Like we all know who they are. I did Google. Do people like American Girl dolls in other countries? (laughs) 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 And it, it does seem like they're popular in Canada. Uh, okay. they, there was at least for a while an American Girl store in Bahrain. And, huh. you know, the thing, the complaint that came up the most is that the shipping is really expensive, which I get. But I, I <laughs> needed to know, right? Like, I needed to know. Because the That's name limits question. you. you know? Yeah, right? Like, I, if American Girl were launching right now, and they came to me and said, Amanda, like, we want your <laughs> branding guidance here, I'd be like, do not call it American Girl. <laughs> Rule number one: You're you're cutting your audience really significantly in a uh-huh. variety of different ways, right? One hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, the number of times I had to type that in our notes, I felt like uncomfortable by the time <laughs> I was done. Um, yes. But uh, so you know, in preparation for this for this episode, I ask you to take a really important test. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe one of the most important tests of your life. Okay, maybe it's really more of a quiz. A quiz that was really light on words. And it was a BuzzFeed quiz uh, determining which American Girl doll you are. And do you want to tell me the answer? Well, uh, I am Julie Albright. What? Me too. (laughs) This doesn't surprise me at all. (laughs) (laughs) I I saw it at the end of the deck and I was like, of course we got the same one. Of course we did. The answers were hard. I was like, I, yeah. I don't know. I guess I'll go to Costa Rica on vacation. <laughs> I don't even, and I don't even think I picked that one. I think I picked France. I don't know. Wow, but, I can know, see that for you. Yeah, <laughs> I would love to be there now. Maybe no matter what you chose, it was just Julie because that's like the one yeah. doll they have in stock. I don't know. Default. But if you, in case you were wondering. Julie is fun, energetic, and tough, just like us. You don't exactly love change, but you always find the strength to push through. Even in the darkest of times, you manage to look on the bright side. And you and I are pretty cheery people. I mean, I told you a story about throwing up and peeing my pants in front of my whole family, and it was like NBD, we laughed, and then we moved on. Right. So, you know. We're embarrassed. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Roll with the punches. So, you know, I wanted to get started like talking about our personal experiences with American Girl although this is going to come through as we continue this conversation but you know what was your favorite like I know that you owned one which I believe was Molly right you had Molly that is correct okay in a casual survey of my friends which doesn't mean much (laughs) nine out of ten people had Molly also 
Wow, she's I know. popular. I guess okay. so, or at least with a certain type of person like us. We, uh, yes. <laughs> was Molly your favorite? Like, is she the one you wanted? I Yeah, I, I definitely think she was the one I wanted. I don't remember why. You know, like, I, she's cute, <laughs> you know? Like, I don't she's remember, cute. like, I don't think, like, there isn't one, like, accessory that I was looking through old catalogs where I was like, oh, yeah. I think I really liked the, she had pajamas, and they were yeah, like they were candy cute. cane striped, like red yeah. and white. Would wear and those now. Get, yeah. Very mod Seriously. cloth, actually. Super mod cloth. Totally, yeah. You know, maybe like embroidered a little cherry on the chest, you know. Adorable. Um, totes adorbs. Um, so yeah, I had Molly and I really enjoyed her braids. She had two mm. braids, um, a cute little sweater, little skirt, and she had a locket. That you could wear yourself as well. Wow. So it was what pretty a gimmick. Yeah. 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 It, hook, line, and sinker really just got me. But I I begged and begged and begged and pleaded forever. And my mother never wanted to buy one for obvious reasons, as we'll get into. Very expensive, you guys. This is not, when you think of a nine year old, ten year old girl, you're not thinking, man, I would put her in a room full of China, right? Like yeah. shit's gonna break. And these dolls were not meant to be like roughhoused and like, you know, all that stuff. And to much to her dismay, like a month after I got Molly, I undid her braids and like ruined her hair forever. You know, one of the questions we're going to tackle in this episode is like, did American Girl dolls uh, retain their value? Like, or is this like the great Beanie Baby debacle, right? All over again. And mm-hmm. the thing I, w- I was telling another friend, I was like, yeah, so I went on eBay and I was like really hard looking through. I mean, there's a ton ton of American Girl stuff on there of all eras of American Girl. Yes, I saw. And the th- recurring theme is that most of them had their hair on top. <laughs> but then again, I was like, I don't know if I trust <laughs> the person who never undid yeah. their doll's hair. I think you're they're way too put together for me and I can't be a part of that. You know, like well, <laughs> they they sold a hair care thing and you could get like a kind of like a, a hairdresser's smock, you know, to like go around like an apron thing that you when you sit down in the salon, they put mm, that yeah, yeah, you. yeah. You could get a, an American girl one for your doll. And I don't remember what came in this kit. I don't think I had it. Um, but I think maybe my expectation was that I could get the kit if I took her hair out and ruined it. But that was just not the case. It just made my mom angry. Um, um, no doubt. Beca- because so. I will tell you, like, I was looking through the catalogs. And, of course, like, when we were kids, we didn't have a concept of how expensive these things were, right? Like, we just, we just, you know, we no. we thought, you right. just wanted it. And I was looking at the prices and I was like, those are a little high for kids, like, looking at them now. But then I was like, mm-hmm. wait a minute. Let's get out the like the adjust for cost of living calculator. And I like that hair care kit probably would have been like a hundred dollars today. And like there's no way your mom was gonna buy you that, right? Like the stuff was very no, expensive. 100%. I understand now why no one I mean, I campaigned so hard with anyone I could to get one of these dolls, and I did not get one. And in cer- to a certain extent, I I think I'm kind of glad because everybody I talked to who had one kind of it was like an anticlimactic experience for them yes. right whereas yes. I was like fawning yeah. I, would have, I could practically have the catalogs memorized I was looking through some old scans of the catalogs today and I was like 
getting so mm-hmm. excited that I was like feeling like I was going to tear up because I remember just looking at these over and over again and like stuffing them away in my bookshelf so no one would accidentally throw them out, you know? I feel like any of the old catalogs that I saw online, it was like instant recall. Yeah. Like it was look it was like I had looked at them yesterday. It's so forever like ingrained in my brain. I wonder how often they sent them out because I feel like the fact that I could recall so many of these images from the 90s is pretty crazy. Unless maybe they didn't change that much. I don't know. But like it just I was like, this is unreal. Like I remember Uh, all of it. And like seeing them now with an adult like, you know, lens through an adult lens, I was like, wow, these look really good. Like, these are, like, product yes. photography goals and branding goals. Like, really, really well yes. done. Yeah. Um, I do. I think that they maybe came out two to three times a year based on what I was seeing. Okay. I remember them being a rare occurrence when they showed up. But, like, so exciting, right? Yeah. Um, so, yes. That was, like, part of life back then, though. Like, when you did, like, catalogs were oh, so yeah. few and far in between. And when they did come, it was a big mm-hmm. deal. Like, you... I remember just get grabbing the mail and just like sorting for catalogs and like even the Sunday circulars mm-hmm. in the newspaper. It was just like this like epic event <laughs> and it's very such a paradigm shift, right? It's like no one kids kids these days don't know what that's like, you know, for better or for worse. But <laughs> no one's like excited to go through our mail of like all the different companies trying to sell us car insurance and like mail that isn't for <laughs> yeah. us. We don't get any good coupons in the mail anymore. But yeah. yeah, I mean, my mom got all the catalogs. So like Spiegel and Macy's. And I mean, I remember we got a Toys R Us catalog. And mm-hmm. even though I would sit down with like the oh, Spiegel yeah. one. And I just remember it being a lot of like oversized turtleneck sweaters and magenta <laughs> lipstick. Yes. Um, uh-huh. But, you know, it's important for anybody who's listening to this who's a lot younger to keep in mind that you could not go to a store and buy American Girl dolls. And, like, you couldn't buy things online. Like, it was catalog only, which made it Mm -hmm. even more, I don't know, like, mysterious. Because you couldn't go to Toys R Us, which had every other toy ever, and buy an American Girl doll. You couldn't even see one in real life unless one of your friends had one. And so they, they had, I mean, they were mysterious. You know, I, all of my friends who had Molly, who could remember why they had Molly, which most of them couldn't, said yeah. is because she had glasses and I had glasses oh. and I felt like I should have a doll with glasses because that wasn't something you saw very often. And I was like, oh, okay. yeah, like that makes sense to me. Sure. You're right. Like I can't think of any other dolls with glasses. Mm-hmm. So I never had one. But like I carried that like romanticization of American Girl in my heart for so long. And when Dylan began to show interest in that, I was like, whole ham. Like I am like, (laughs) I would, uh, every Christmas, I would wait until Dylan was asleep and I would go in there and get, uh, Dylan had Molly, bring Molly out, put Molly in a new outfit for the new year and set up a whole scene with like furniture like one year I got all of Molly's camping stuff and we found a picnic table and a tent another year I bought this whole like party set up and Molly was in a party dress and so I was like really serious about it until Dylan was like over it right but we did have (laughs) one year a really great birthday party at a tea house near where my mom lives that specialized in like 
doll parties. I'm sure they technically couldn't say American Girl doll parties, but mm-hmm. that's what they mm-hmm. were with like little yeah. tiny sandwiches and seats for the dolls. And Dylan and Molly had matching outfits, which were strangely Aww. Western. I don't know why that was the <laughs> choice. Um, and I have very fond memories of it, at least. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's that's living the dream. I think you get the mom of the year award for that. I know. I hope so. I hope that like that's a pleasant memory for everyone involved. (laughs) So, okay, let's talk about the American Girl business. Uh, The company that launched American Girl is not actually called American Girl. And I kind of had forgotten that. And then I was like, right, now I remember it. I can see it on the catalog in mm-hmm. the center section where you would fill out the order form and send in the check. Because of yes, course, you, that's, that's another that's how it important right? thing. Yeah, you had to fill out the form and mail it in. <laughs> and it must have taken <laughs> so long to get yes. it all. Wow. Like you wouldn't even know. You don't have a tracking number. Like you would know. <laughs> you just hope that it was arriving one day. How did we live? I know. And like anytime, I mean, I remember ordering clothes a couple times from the Delia's catalog and it was a good month before your stuff showed up. Uh-huh. Yeah, for sure. Uh, this, what, a, what a weird world we lived in. Or maybe we live <laughs> in the weird world now. I don't know. Yeah. So American Girl was actually launched by The Pleasant Company, and it was founded in 1986 by, appropriately enough, a woman named Pleasant Rowland, which is just like <laughs> the name of someone who's going to start a line of historical dolls, right? Yes, 100%. So... Pleasant Rowland was a retired teacher and writer, and she was inspired to launch the brand after visiting a place I have been numerous times. I don't know about you, Colonial Williamsburg. Yes. Oh yeah, I have I had the bonnet for sure. I, I love going <laughs> to Colonial Williamsburg. I'm pretty sure reason. you probably got like a super whitewashed, completely inaccurate version of history. And all what? I remember is that there were stocks there, like where people would be punished. Yes. And my brother and I <laughs> thought that was like hysterical. Which, in <laughs> retrospect, I'm like, that is really messed up. Yes, 100%. And they're like, right. take a photo, smile. And you're like, okay, people died here. Yeah, cool. All Never right. Pre- someone had dysentery, too. And probably people were tortured. And there was all kinds of racism and sexism. But here we are. Um, bah, bah, bah. But Pleasant, Pleasant was less inspired by the stocks and more thinking <laughs> maybe she could be educating girls about history via books and dolls. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's it's pretty incredible that she had this foresight to, like, bring a little bit of education into the doll world. Because up until that point, there was none of that. No. No. And, like, doll, this, I mean, and we're going to talk about all the ways in which American Girl was different and how it's changed, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it. But I can remember the dolls of from when I was a kid, they were either babies, which is like was always so unappealing to me. Like I just was not I, I had friends yes. who were really into yeah. baby dolls, not to knock anyone on that, but they just like did they didn't have the intrigue to mm-hmm. me. Whereas I was like, even though I had some cabbage patch kids, I almost never played with them because they were just like they were babies, right? I yeah. was all about Barbie because you could act out real stories and have furniture and drive cars and I watched a lot of soap operas with my with my grandma. So I had a lot of plot lines stored up in my brain that I were totally misunderstood <laughs> for sure that I wanted to act out with my Barbies like the 
the Corvette was always going off a cliff and someone was always in a coma. <laughs> I had these two dolls that were that looked alike. So, you know, they were Barbies. So of course they did. Uh, of course, and yeah. they were like separated at birth twins who didn't know about it. Um, and then oh. one day the evil twin showed up. Well, she was evil. No one knew it at first. And then turned out she was trying to steal the good twins. Uh, husband, my single Ken that I had, the only Ken doll in my collection because Ken was boring. And uh, this entire plot line was stolen from a soap opera called Another World. <laughs> Lest you think I was truly imaginative. And I remember one of the I things mean... on Another World was that the good twin found out about her evil twin because she was dying of some sort of disease that required a kidney transplant. Because then, they, you know, at that time, there was a lot of like, let's have awareness around transplants, right? And organ donation. And the twin showed up and was like, I can give you a kidney. And so they did the transplant, but then it like set up this really strange power <laughs> dynamic. <laughs> All of this happened when I was oh like seven, God. everyone. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I we used to like reenact 90210 stuff and I was like, I don't know, six, like probably didn't, <laughs> A, thankfully didn't understand what was going on and B, like what? Like I remember like, uh, like quote unquote stuffing my bra with Kleenex, you know, so I could look like the girls on TV. Oh, <laughs> like, gee, yes, yes. Kids, kids do some strange things. Kids do some strange way. stuff. So like dolls were either <laughs> like babies or Barbie, basically, right? Like mm -hmm. adults. And so this was the first yeah. time there was a doll that was like a girl's age. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Um, that it, had it's like a, little a bit story. More relatable. And you didn't have to be like the mom. Like, you know, you could like actually interact with them like they were your friend. Yeah. And so the the doll options were just like not good. So like I have to give props to Pleasant Roland for a variety of reasons for seeing the vision there. And I was like I was thinking, like, wow, this must have been a really expensive business to start. Yes, I was thinking the same thing. Right? I could, I tried so hard to find out who invested in this company, and I couldn't yes. find it anywhere. How did she sell this concept? I want to know, like, in the late 80s, like, how did you sell this? I know. Like, I, no, it was not the trend. Like, there was no money in there. So I was thinking the exact same thing. Like, how, how did this happen? Yeah, it's so weird. And you you made a good point that these were sort of like luxury dolls. Yes. Yeah, they were like very premium. If you look at the photos of the old magazines, I mean, you can just tell. I mean, obviously oh, yeah. we've got an inside view being uh, industry people. But it really, <laughs> you can tell the difference in the quality. Like it, it was there. And they oh, yeah. even like hand molded the faces. So a lot of care went into making them. Um, so I think that was like a big thing for the company is like, and probably for parents, is they wanted to make sure that the kid A was old enough to like not mess the doll up, which we all know ended up happening anyway. But it was kind of like antithetical to the toy industry, which is like plastic, cheap, you know, breaking mm -hmm. lots, like a thousand pieces that get lost knowing that this toy is going to end up, you know, at the Goodwill or in the trash eventually. But these dolls you know, you were not expected to throw that in the trash can, right? I mean, if anything, you know, part of it to, is the Beanie Baby craze where people are like, well, one day they'll be worth something, you know? So um, I think there there was a hurdle, but a lot of people who got the dolls were wealthy, right? Like I had mm -hmm. the doll, but like, I feel like I would have played with Molly more had I had like all of the accoutrement, you know what I mean? Which like, were like, yeah, I mean... 
I can tell looking at the catalog that by the time she launched all the accoutrement, that was like the real money, right? Because the yes. average kid is probably only going to have one doll, but they're going to yes. come back over and over again for the sets. And like the grandparents are going to buy the sets and they're going to get gift certificates or sets, mm-hmm. like all that kind of stuff. And I will tell you, being a person who's worked in the industry, and I don't work in the toy industry, but the little bit of insight or contact I've had in that world, I'm going to tell you, I still cannot figure out how she pulled this off because every little <laughs> single tiny item that those dolls have, whether it's the hair, yeah. the shoes, the the clothes, Kirsten's tray with little tiny cookies and a candle and a little towel, like all of these things, there is a really intense MOQ, minimum order quantity, to get mm-hmm. things like this made. So even yeah. just like launching the first round of the dolls, and I remember these kind of like slowly rolling out. Like first it was the dolls with their books and like maybe one other set and like their beds in a trunk, right? And then soon it was like, mm-hmm. now they have party stuff. Now they have summer camp. But I got to tell you, for every single one of these little things that you could buy for these dolls, like they would, the company would have been investing in like thousands of units and oh, so much research and development to get it right. Think of all the samples, the molds, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. Like the molds, I, yeah, right, right. Like none of this would be easy, and you can see that it all is all so well made. The clothes are so, they're like better made than clothes that pe- are sold to people now. Yes. You know? Yeah. They're 100%. Uh, right? right. <laughs> I want to know, and, like, what factories they were using, like, if they were doing it in Asia. I mean, there was no email, so they probably had a fact. Like, the, the whole fact that this product was executed and done so well in the pre-internet age really deserves a round of applause. Because it really does. I don't, it really does. We don't really realize how hard that stuff was back then, but it, you know, it, people overseas weren't an email away, you know, like there's a lot that would have needed to be, I, I bet they spent a lot, a lot of time over at their factories getting everything right. Cause otherwise I just don't know how you would do it. I don't either. I mean, I'm glad that I didn't work in that era, but I, <laughs> when I was at Nasty Gal, our CEO and her, like the CFO, who was like, he was a real piece of work. They would frequently like yell at us about how like we didn't know how good we had it because we had computers <laughs> and the CEO would be like, you know, when I was a buyer, I'd have to just pull it. People would be like, what do you have on order? And I have to pull out this huge binder and roll through all the invoices and tell them. And then the CFO would be like, when I was your age, I was like, oh, when you were like 35 <laughs> or whatever, yeah. I would have to use a slide rule to calculate my open to buy. Oh, and I was like, I doubt it. Unless, first yeah. off, what are you, like 120? Like you are so yeah, full right. of shit. He's using he's using an abdicus, you know. Yeah, it was so ridiculous. Head, but so. I do know that things were harder then. You know, like I don't even know if they had fax machines in this era. So, like getting information back and forth and developing all this product and having it be mm-hmm. so on point, and you can tell that Pleasant Rowland and her team were like perfectionists because I don't see toys like this on the market at all now. Period. Yeah. For sure. Right. And they, I know when it came to the books and stuff as well, they had, they would like hire and contract out to people who were experts in the mm-hmm. era, in the time, in uh, cultural things as well. So they really, you know, I, I, I'm sure a lot obviously is sugarcoated in the books, but they did take the time to make sure that they were reaching out to the right people to make sure they had the right information, which once again, it's like, it's it this happened a while ago so could it have been better of course but for the time like it actually was 
going above and beyond what a lot of other companies and products out there were doing. Absolutely. And I think you touched, you brought up another thing that makes this even more complex and even more of a feat that I just don't know how they pulled off, which is the books, right? Yeah. They had whole ass books written, series mm-hmm. of books about these different girls that were researched. I remember them being pretty well written as like an eight year old reading them. Uh, yeah. You know, they had art and illustrations and like they were, you know, they were they were so they were basically like not only do we make these luxury toys but we also make books it's it's a lot and they were it's not like they were like oh and our books are published by Simon and Schuster like they were doing it themselves right i yeah. did successfully start a petition to get all the american girl books in our school library and it worked out <laughs> <laughs> oh my god you would i would i mean i I was that kid. I mean, I'm, you know, everybody probably knows by now that I'm like a major nerd and always have been. And so, of course, I always hung out at the school library and everybody knew me and the librarian would give me snacks and stuff. And I was like, we really need these American Girl books. And they like the library was pretty skeptical at first. Like, this is a catalog of toys. And I was like, no, no, no. But they're like about history. They're educational. And she was like, I don't know. I need you to let me tell me that other kids want to read this. And so I made this petition. I got everyone to sign it. And we got the books. And, of course, I got first dibs on checking them out, which is fine because I'm a speed reader. It was fine. The books are very short. Uh, And then, you know, everybody (laughs) got to learn about history. But, I mean, this is, like, a wild undertaking. And once again, like, I could not figure out how she pulled this all off financially. I just don't know. Yeah. It does seem like she came from money and had connections, which I'll tell you about, but like not this kind of, this is like a lot of money. I mean, her name was Pleasant, so. People it, were probably like, oh, I'll take a risk <laughs> on it. Here's a million dollars. So yeah. the initial the initial run of dolls was only three. It was Molly, Samantha, and Kirsten. So Kirsten Larson and her family are pioneers living in Minnesota in 1854. Samantha <laughs> Parkington, iconic Houndstooth outfit, iconic, mm-hmm. is an orphan living in New York City during the early 1900s. And Molly's best story, orphan. best dressed orphan, yeah. Molly's story <laughs> is set in 1944, and her dad is a soldier in World War II. You can still order Samantha with an incredibly less cute outfit. Like, I cannot believe they got mm-hmm. rid of her iconic outfit because I think you could dress up like that for Halloween this year and everybody like, oh, you're Samantha Parkington. Like, they would know. A hundred percent. Right? hundred percent. Her new outfit, it could be anyone. It could be anyone. Um, but Ugh. Kirsten and Molly were archived in 2010 and 2014. Molly was brought back this year. But in general, like, and we're going to talk about that, like, the American Girl Company is not as focused on history or like that kind of educational element mm-hmm. at all anymore. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get to why. Let's take a moment to thank a new supporter of Close Horse, Athletic Greens. They have a product I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because it's important that I feel as healthy and energized as possible. If I'm going to be able to do all the stuff I need to do in a given day, from working my day job to creating Close Horse to reading my ever-growing mountain of books, this means I need a supplement that fits into my life easily and is actually enjoyable to take. I've taken some very unenjoyable supplements. For a while, it seemed like half my suitcase for every business trip was just bottles of vitamins, and AG1 has changed my life because it only takes up a tiny, tiny bit of space in my bag, and I really enjoy taking it. 
Who says that about a supplement? I have never said that before, but I mean it. I've been on it for a few months now, and I love it. It doesn't taste like it's super healthy. It has a kind of mild tropical with a hint of vanilla taste that I actually look forward to each morning. I'm I'm serious. I, I'm excited to drink it in the morning. So you're probably asking, like, what is this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, aging, all of the things you care about. It's very lifestyle friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, or only Taco Bell, AG1 fits for you. It also costs you less than $3 a day. It's way cheaper, trust me, I did the math, than getting all of the different supplements yourself, which I appreciate as a very thrifty person. I also love that I'm skipping all of the plastic packaging ways for all of the supplements I was taking in the past. So many containers. I am not an athlete. When I do work out, it's in very uncool pajamas. But AG1 is a small micro habit with big benefits for me. It's one thing I can do every single day to take great care of myself. For every purchase, Athletic Greens donates to organizations helping to get nutritious food to kids in need, including No Kid Hungry here in the United States. In 2020 alone, AG donated over 1.2 million meals to kids. My other vitamins weren't doing anything for anybody else except filling up my suitcase. Right now is a great time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. Shake it up and enjoy it. There's no need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. Seriously, the first thing I do every morning, well, first I feed the cats, but then I mix up my scoop of, of AG1 with some water. I shake it up and I sit on the couch and drink it while I listen to NPR and it is delightful. To make it easy, because I know you're so jealous, you want to try this now, Athletic Greens is going to offer you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash clotheshorse. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash clotheshorse to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I'm going to start by saying that I had the unfortunate pleasure of reading about a gazillion think pieces about how great American Girl was and how terrible it is now. They all kind of said <laughs> the same stuff, and I have mixed feelings about it all. But uh, I will say that all of the original stories were really feminist. Did you read the books, Meredith? Yes. I mean, I really couldn't tell you uh, any of the stories, but I definitely did read the books. Well, so they all, like, I think back and I'm like, you know, with these they're they're tame business for 2022 i will give it that but like sure for when these came out and the climate we lived in and how horrible it was to be a girl in this mm-hmm. time period they were pretty pretty feminist uh felicity who was a revolutionary war era girl uh, she came later she was very aware of the way boys and girls were raised differently she talked about that a lot and she 
really would rather like ride her horse that was named Independence. A little hokey. <laughs> She'd rather do that than learn embroidery and cooking. I'm glad to see we had a horse girl here in the American Girl Collective. There you go. And yeah. her ultimate feminist act, which seriously sounds like something, I don't know, like there'd be like a concept album about this. She sets her <laughs> horse Independence free. And wow. like as an adult, I'm like really moved by that. Although maybe it wasn't the best idea. Yeah. But I get where she was going, right? I don't know if independence lasted very long after that, but Godspeed. <laughs> right. So Kirsten, <laughs> who was my favorite, primarily because she had this crown that she wore at Christmas that had candles yes. on it. And I mean, first off, that do not let me ever do that. That is I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna safe. burn myself and everything in the house. But uh <laughs> I thought that that was so cool. <laughs> it, yeah, I like when you mentioned that on our discussion phone call. I knew exactly like, that. Once again, the image came right back to my right. Head. I knew right. exactly oh. what you were talking about. Yeah, it's she was, so good. She was it's so cute. Yeah, so cute. And I actually, I was, I had forgotten that you could buy clothes that were exactly. I mean, this was like peak great American Girl era. You could buy mm-hmm. outfits for yourself that were exact copies of the doll's oh, outfits yeah. and I was looking through them and I was just filled with this pang of like I want all these clothes now and specifically yeah. <laughs> I definitely kind of dress like Kirsten even as an adult um, so maybe she still is my favorite but she uh, her story was really moving like she, I remember hers was I mean pioneers they had it rough right I mean mm-hmm. we'll, we won't talk about the colonialism these were working class people who were like used as a tool in colonialism but she travels across the Atlantic crammed into a ship with a ton of other immigrants she gets lost in the New York City streets she doesn't speak English she rides a train for the first time and it's terrifying like she's never even seen a train before and then her best friend Marta dies of cholera Oh, no, not cholera. I know. Uh, but she still remains optimistic and open to life's possibilities. And, you know, it's like, you know, she's she's got a really great attitude. Addie yes. experiences the atrocities of slavery, runs away, and is almost caught by Confederate soldiers. I remember this book being really scary. Yet she yeah. still makes it to Philadelphia and learns how to read and write, which was her dream. Um, and some, even Samantha, the world's richest orphan. <laughs> Was inspired by, seriously, uh, the wealthiest of all the American Girl dolls, for sure. Uh Um, And and it was really apparent in her stuff, right? Um, She had a poor friend uh, who I think was named Nellie, but I might be making that up. I might be conflating this with uh, uh, Little House on the Prairie. I have no idea. But uh, her friend Nellie, like, I don't know, her family was very poor. They lost their home. Maybe a parent died. And she was going to have to go work in a factory. And Samantha wins oh, this yeah. essay, concert, uh, essay contest at her fancy school for rich orphans or whatever it's called. <laughs> and she's going to talk about one thing, but then she ends up getting up there and giving a speech about child labor, mm. which apparently on, has girl. some sort of major impact on Nellie and her family. Anyway, like, you know, pretty, pretty, these are pretty cool, right? Like, I mean, Addie's I mean, story is probably the most visceral, but even Kirsten sure. as like an immigrant <laughs> coming to this like strange world and seeing her best friend die of cholera. Like this is, these are pretty intense stories for kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, compare it to like the babysitter's club, you know, right. like there's some, some real meat there. Well, I don't know. There was that one babysitter's club where was it, 
was it Janine who kept getting phone calls where people would hang up while she was babysitting? <laughs> or maybe maybe it wasn't her. I don't know. And the, But then it just turned out it was someone who had a crush on her. I mean, that was chilling. That was like the, their version of doing Christopher <laughs> Pike or something. <laughs> okay. Yes. So, so Pleasant Rallin, you know, we know she's like a teacher. She wrote textbooks, which is badass. So mm-hmm. I was like, I need to know more about her because I had this picture of her as a woman who like probably had her hair in one long braid and like tied sweaters around her shoulders and wore a lot of Laura Ashley clothing. Um, I'm still believing the Laura Ashley part of it, at least. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She was born in Chicago and she grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. She's the oldest of four siblings. Her sister... Barbara Whitney Carr is president of the <laughs> Chicago Horticultural Society, which seems pretty oh. schmancy to me. Okay, Her yeah. father was Edward Thiel, a Chicago advertising executive who eventually became president of one of the biggest ad agencies in the world, Leo Burnett. So, like, I think that's maybe where some of the money to start this company came from. Like, he yeah. probably had connections and had money himself. Maybe she's more of a Samantha when you get down to it. I don't know. <laughs> From 1962 to 1968, she was a school teacher in several states. Then, this is like a strange uh, pivot, she was a news reporter and anchor wow. from 1968 oh to 1971. Okay. And okay. then she transitioned into writing textbooks. And this is where I, I actually had this like really amazing time learning about this because she did a whole bunch of stuff. But one thing she did was in the 70s, she created a comprehensive language arts program that's called Beginning to Read, Write, and Listen. It's often called the Letter Books by Educators. And I looked these up because they're still in use. They've been revised and you know updated over the years. Mm-hmm. And I recognize them from kindergarten. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, so yeah ch- I see the yeah. images. They look familiar. And these are like the new version, right? But like, I, I get it. I remember these. I remember my kindergarten class had like a whole wall of them. And you had to like work your way through the books through the school year. Um, yeah. She also then later in the late 70s invented a, another reading program that I think was more focused on phonics. And it was for like more like first, second graders instead of kindergartners called Super Kids, which is also <laughs> still in use. She's just like really into child literacy. Love it. Crazy, right? <laughs> she's she's hooked on phonics, man. She is like hooked on phonics. Else. I was like really hoping. I was like, and next she started Hooked on Phonics, which I remember those ads so clearly. Oh, yeah. I remember the kid would be like, Hooked on Phonics, work for me. Remember yeah. those? <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, okay. So in 1998, and we're going to go into the aftermath of this in in detail, Pleasant Rowland sold the Pleasant Company to Mattel for $700 million. And I was like, that's a lot of money. But then I was like, wait a minute, Mm -hmm. but how much is it today? Oh, just a little $1.2 billion. I know. That is insane. Is Pleasant Rowland the original girl boss, but the one who was like like, actually good at it? (laughs) I don't know. I think so. This is impressive. I I know. Why did she sell? (laughs) I guess to get the money. I guess. Yeah. I mean, I like, I get it now. I think that Mattel, just based on what I was reading about Mattel at that point, which I'm going to get into, I think that like, Mattel made her an offer she couldn't refuse, basically. Which, if someone came to me yeah. and said, I'm going to give you $1.2 billion for Clothes Horse, I'm sorry, everyone. I'm taking the money. Yeah. And I'm going to, like, <laughs> adopt a thousand cats, okay? 
to, uh, to quote my to quote my father, everyone has a price. Right, mine's one point two billion dollars. Apparently, <laughs> um, okay. I'm gonna build a huge farm where all my friends can mm. live and work on cool stuff. I'm gonna give like eighty percent of that money away to various organizations. I'm gonna start an animal sanctuary. Um, it's gonna be amazing. Anyway, um, that sounds great. Yeah, in fact, I probably could give away like ninety five percent of that money and still do all those things. Um, okay, so. Rowland, instead of like saying, you know, like I'm gonna, I don't know, like, you know, build a farm for a million cows and horses or whatever like, I would do, <laughs> she first bought a bankrupt ceramic company, which I did not see sure. coming for her. She <laughs> helped it get its act together and then sold it off successfully wow. and made even more money. Okay. So then. I think next, to really learn what she's been doing since then, you have to jump into a 2021 article from Curbed called American Girl Doll Founder Buys Up Real Human Town. <laughs> and <laughs> there was this Amazing. part of me that I was like, yeah, yeah, I see this for her. This this all adds up in a weird way. Like, sure, she's this badass literacy program creator, and she created this incredible co- company. Now she should go play real-life Sims, right? So... Yeah, <laughs> this is a quote. This is like a couple sentences, actually, from this article that I'm just going to read verbatim. Once again, the article is from Curbed. It says, quote, most people leave their small town alma mater with not much more than a distant fondness or revulsion for the time they spent there. Not Pleasant Rowland, the creator of the American Girl Doll Empire, who graduated in 1962 from Wells College in the upstate New York town of Aurora. Rowland, who is best known for his her historical and historically expensive dolls, has been flying under the radar with another project for the past two decades, obsessively renovating Aurora so it is fit for any American Girl doll to live in. Rowland has already set up five, yes, five historical inns and renovated a restaurant in this Finger Lakes town. I'll mm. add... With further research that I did, she also bought the local grocery store, renovated it, and added a wine and cheese shop to oh, it. Yes. Upsetting oh, some people, yes. making other people very happy. Because I, I mean, I love a wine and cheese mm. store. Um, she also Absolutely. reworked the local luncheonette, which was like where everybody, I mean, this is a small town, right? This is a place where everyone yeah. ate. And she opened a luxury spa. Now, I will tell you, like, the first question I had when I read this was, why would a town this small need five hotels? <laughs> I understand why they need a cheese and wine shop. I get it, right? But five hotels. And apparently, though, like, based on what I was reading, like, they do not cannibalize one another. And even though most of them are about $400 a night and up, like, they're wow. they're pretty booked. I mean, outside of COVID, oh my God. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and the spa is apparently very luxurious. Um, so she's been funneling a ton of money into this town both through the college like her alma mater wells college like actually like giving them money to buy buildings and renovate but then also like on her own she paid Mm -hmm. to remove which buildings around town that she felt were dilapidated to bury the power lines so they're not above ground anymore and it's more aesthetically pleasing and she paid to line main street with elm trees i can see like I mean, I'm reading this article and I'm like, and then I, you know, I went down a whole other rabbit hole of other articles and I was like, yeah, I can see that 50% of people are going to love this and the other 50% of people are going to be so pissed, right? Yeah. I I will say though, like for sure, burying power lines, uh, this is, this is, wow. Um, I look out in my backyard often and I'm like, oh yeah, there's these, these lines that run that we just ignore. Like it's so easy to like 
just like blank them out and then you look and you're like oh no this looks terrible and all of our electricity is like flying over our heads so you know no matter what you think about the wine and cheese store you really should be thanking this lady because no one likes power lines okay yeah birds like them though they like to sit on them so i guess i hope she put up some i bet she put up some adorable bird houses and bird perches 100 Mm -hmm. okay so you of course not everyone in aurora is thrilled about this in fact way back in 2007 the new york times actually ran an article about this and their like regional issue uh a an aurora resident named ann baxter told the new york times quote the thing that a lot of people lament is that it has torn the village apart. Wow. Uh, and it seems like because there are people there who are like, this is great. I can make a living. I like, I'm finally like, I don't know, living the life I've dreamed of. And then the other people are like, this place was great. Now I can't afford to live here. Like that, it's classic, right? Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. So here's another, here's an excerpt from that New York Times article. Quote, one opponent, a local investment consultant, took to leaving his car parked in front of the college-owned Aurora Inn, an 1833 gem that was shuttered on and off before Mrs. Ms. Rowland paid for a top-to-bottom renovation, or what critics call a shameful gutting. He covered the car with signs, including one that said, Pleasant Rowland, more trouble than she's worth. He also had bumper stickers made that other people use that say, Aurora was pleasant before. Ooh, this is that's a, I, a bird. what I love is how like bookish this whole thing is. Yes, <laughs> of course, right? <laughs> He's doing his best to be mean, but it's also like very like you know grammatically correct. <laughs> yeah, it's lovely, lovely, and you know Aurora is considered a fairly historical town. I mean, a lot of those towns in upstate New York, even just the East Coast in general, a lot of small towns are sure. very old, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely got a lot of stuff in the historical historic registry whatever it's called um but a lot of the buildings that rowland renovated were gutted completely and filled with like fake historical decor and furniture but the facades for the most part were preserved so people were like you kind of ruined it it's like disneyland now you know yeah um i mean that's that's what she's been doing um, she's still doing it i read an article from last year <laughs> about more stuff that wow. was opening and more things she was doing and you know how do I feel about it? I would say there's a lot better things she could do with $1.2 billion that would have a major impact on sure. so many people's quality of life, right? Like pay Agreed. off all the medical debt that everyone has and, mm-hmm. you know, get books for kids if you love literacy so much or, you know, like there are just so many things she could be doing. And it's just she's making like weird American Girl Disney World. Uh, I don't know if it's a destination <laughs> for American Girl lovers because I... I, I don't think a lot of people know that she's been doing this. You know, it's pretty yeah. niche to know. Yes. Um, I mean, and there were like, I don't know. It's it's interesting. There was a lot of press coverage of this in the in like news outlets from New York. But like in general, it's like not much of a national story. No. So, OK, let's get to the really dark part of the story, which is that um, Mattel bought American mm. Girl once again, 700 million dollars. $1.2 billion in 2022 money. Let's talk about Mattel, right? It's a name we okay. all know. We can, I can close Same. my eyes and picture the logo. Describe it. Describe oh, yeah. it to us, right? It's pink. Yeah. And it's like Mattel. Circular. Right? Jagged yeah. Yes. White letters. Uh, Mattel's business daddy. Biz, yeah. Major business daddy. Like <laughs> Mattel, major business daddy. Uh, Mattel's longtime number one property has been Barbie. I mean, that's how... 
when I think of Barbie, I think of Mattel and vice versa, right? Like I, yes, all the other major properties I'm going to list for you, you'll be like, oh yeah, these are like big ones, but like Barbie's where my brain goes. So Mattel owns Uno, which is a cash cow still, (laughs) Uh, Hot Wheels. Fisher Price, another one that is like a major cash cow for them. Uh-huh. Magic Eight Ball, He Man, and Polly Pocket. Lots of other stuff in between there too. They bought things temporarily, got rid of them, brought them back, all that stuff. But like Barbie is like their big one, right? Can so, we talk about though, like how there is a Magic Eight Ball like franchise? Like what other products <laughs> I are know. they? <laughs> I mean, and like Uno, like Uno is one. It's there's one game. Yes, like, but there is sort of like an Uno franchise because they will make like, oh, it's Simpsons Uno or it's Glow in the Dark oh, Uno okay. or it's Chinese gotcha. Uno, but like okay. not in the way Magic Eight Ball. I agree. I mean, <laughs> of course they have tried to. I, this, I mean, this is what it is to work in fashion. You're like, oh. Red fit and flare dresses are working. Better make 72 other versions that are just slightly (laughs) different, right? This is the same thing. I'm like, yeah, I get it. I think I could be really successful in the toy industry. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So so I don't know. There's this document, not documentary. Well, I guess it's like a documentary series on Netflix. But I don't feel like it's like high quality enough to call it a documentary, which is really bitchy of me. (laughs) But it's called like The Toys That Made Us. Have you ever watched Uh, this? I haven't watched it, but I've seen it. Okay, so the voiceover is so annoying. Um, And I've only watched a few of the episodes because most of the toys weren't interesting to me. Like, uh, for better or worse, most of the episodes focus on what, when I was growing up, were considered boys' toys that really didn't interest me at all. And that's why I didn't watch it. Right, right. Like, I don't really care about G.I. Joe. I'm sure the story's terrible. And I don't care that much about, (laughs) you know, Transformers and stuff either. I did watch the Transformers one with Dustin because my brother had a lot of Transformers. And the the thing about Transformers was... Uh, they were really hard to transform for children. <laughs> and oh, so really? because I was a few years older, my mom would be like, oh, just transform that for him. And they all oh, felt no. like weird, like Rubik's Cube, you know? <laughs> like, they oh, were wow. really hard. Okay. Um, anyway, so I watched two episodes of that specifically because I was like, these are areas of major interest for me. One was the Hello Kitty episode, which I have watched three times now. Uh, It's like turned into this thing I watch when I'm sick, even though the voiceover really bothers me. The other (laughs) one I watched, I only watched it once, was the episode about Barbie. And it's fascinating. I know you know a little bit about like the origin story of Barbie, right? Yeah. um, She was based off of a German doll that was maybe not for children. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's like a weird thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah there, there's a lot with the history of Barbie, and it's a lot different than what you would think. I think that's another good uh, deep dive that we can do. I know. Do I, as point. I was working on this, I was like, okay, well, we now we need to do a Barbie episode. Did you like Barbies a lot when you were a kid? You know, I was not a huge Barbie girl. I We only had a few Barbies, and I remember, and we had, you know what? I think I didn't like it because, like, I, I had a skipper. And I think my sister had Skipper, too. And, like, I just wanted Barbie. And, like, we had friends that had, like, the car and the dream house. But we just had Barbie and then clothes that my grandma had made for Barbie. So I felt (laughs) like we had, like, the off-brand Barbies just had Skipper. Yeah. And then my sister just started, like, popping the heads off. And it just, I don't know, something about Barbie (laughs) did not catch with me. And I don't know why, but I was, yeah, I was never a huge Barbie girl. 
I loved Barbie for sure. And I think it's because I watched all those soap operas with my grandma. Um, (laughs) Also, my grandma would find me like really cool Barbie stuff at yard sales. So I never had the dream house. Real talk. I like still want a dream house. If I found a good one, like in good shape or at least repairable shape, I would totally buy it. I I mean, Dustin's always keeping his eye out for me too. Um, (laughs) It would be really cool. But uh, yeah, I, I loved Barbie. I had a lot of weird Barbie clothes that my grandma had gotten from someone at the farmer's market. So they were real weird. There were a lot of slacks. Um, they were always okay. like, kind of frumpy. I don't know what what the deals with them. Anyway, that was definitely a thing that like people would do at the farmer's market when I was a kid. They would sell Barbie clothes and Cabbage Patch clothes. And they probably moved on to American Girl clothes at some point. Um, but they were always just like a little off, you know, um, at least yeah. in central Pennsylvania. Um, but I, my, my best friend growing up, Kara Garbrick, shout out Kara, uh, was an only child, which meant she had all the best Barbie stuff, including a huge mm, house mm-hmm. that her dad built her. And oh, wow. we would like, she was the only person I liked to play Barbies with. Otherwise, for me, it was like, close the door. I'm going to sit here. It's going to seem like I'm sitting here in silence for six hours, but I'm really playing really complex Barbie games by myself. Um, <laughs> so she and I were like, I was like going over to her house because she had all the cool stuff and she was really fun to play with. And we like were on the same mindset of how we wanted to play Barbies. But sure. I, there was this other girl named Abby that sometimes I would go hang out with who I grew up with. And what was interesting about her is like she was like always like the really good girl at school and like a tattletale. But when she played Barbies, it was all sex all the time. And we were like in third grade. <laughs> it was real weird. <laughs> yep. Yep. I mean, kids do. It's, yeah. Meaning that they just like laid down on top of each other, right? That was it. Like it wasn't like graphic. Yeah, that was that was like (laughs) what sex was, right? Um, Anyway, I mean, she would always be like, "They're married, so now they can have sex," and I'd be like, "Okay, (laughs) I come from a family that almost only has sex outside of marriage, but yeah." Um, So, so yeah, so I loved Barbies. I think that Barbie is such an interesting story. We should definitely do a whole episode about it because it is like a lot of Toy Stories. Uh, a story of like stole stolen ideas and like double crossing and mm-hmm. many illegal and unethical behaviors. Um, Mattel itself has like I could do a whole episode about Mattel. Maybe it's a Mattel slash Barbie episode because okay. Mattel yeah. has had all kinds of major scandals, legal problems, sketchy behavior, sexual harassment, all the bad things over the years. Um, it's also like become like probably I would say Mattel and Hasbro are like the two major toy companies, you know, in, in 2022, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, so, uh, Mattel got in trouble with, uh, I want to say the FTC for fraudulent, like, you know, income statements, like basically lying about how much money they were really making. Uh, they've Oops. thwarted a couple corporate takeovers, including one from Hasbro, which would have made basically like the toy industry a monopoly if that had worked. Um, yeah. And here's the weirdest thing. I mean, like, based on what I learned in that Barbie episode of the toys that made us um, and some other reading I'd done in the past, like, I knew Mattel was like kind of it was like started by some really scammy people who were like, let's make money in any way we can. (laughs) For two years in the early 1970s, Mattel owned the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus (laughs) and lost an insane amount of money, like an insane amount of money. 
Yeah, because uh, they're a toy company. Right, right. Well, in the <laughs> beginning, actually, uh, I don't want to give all the stuff away for this future Mattel episode you and I are going to do. Oh, shit. But okay. uh, they started as a company that made picture frames and other things out of compressed wood. And they made this toy ukulele that was like a hit. And then they were like, now we're a toy company. Now we're going to steal <laughs> ideas from all kinds of people all the time. And that's what they Natural did. Natural progression. Yeah. Natural progression. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So through decades of Mattel, Barbie has been the bread and butter. But by the time we get into like peak American Girl era in the late 90s, Barbie's sales are slowing down for like a lot of reasons, right? I mean, they, they're not even ready because you know what's going to come a couple years after this? Bratz, mm-hmm. right? And that is oh, just going to yeah. like... And then Bratz... I, Mattel's tried to start their own version of Bratz, which I can't remember, but they were just like not as good. Like they just they just weren't. Oh, yeah, City Girls, something Daddy? like that. It was terrible. Something, yeah, and then they did Monster High, which was you know pretty successful, but that was like ten years after that. So, you know, Barbie was struggling in by the end of the '90s and getting into the century. And sales in 1998 for Mattel as a whole were particularly soft thanks to a shift. You're, I'm not, I feel like I'm having like a, mark, a walk down memory lane talking about all this. <laughs> they were a shift in buying practices at Toys R Us. One retailer uh. that they sold to was throwing the whole company into a really insecure place financially. That's according to the New York Times. And so I wanted to know more about what these Toys R Us buying practices could possibly be. I was like, you mean the, one of the most real paradises on earth was buying differently? Like, tell me more. Because I just <laughs> only have these, like, Toys R Us, we were not allowed to go there very often because it was too Same. much. Like, I, and I get it. Like, imagine how terrible it must have yeah. been. Oh, right? Yeah. For all yeah. parents, right? But so I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I want to know what, it. what was going on with Toys R Us, this paragon of virtue in my mind. Well, it turns out that much like there was a lot of sketchy stuff happening at Mattel all the time, there was <laughs> also a lot of sketchy stuff happening at Toys R Us. Um, oh, no. And for one, Toys R Us was on the decline by 1999, which is – the irony of this is so uh, – I mean, this this is a recurring story, right? So in the 80s and early 90s, Toys R Us drove – all of the mom and pop toy businesses out under you know like they were gone like yeah. i there was a local chain of toy stores where i grew up they had like two or three locations they were called kitty town like a year <laughs> after toys r us moved in gone just like completely gone you know um yeah. so toys r us had de- had just decimated the industry and really consolidated all the power um but then by the late 90s toys r us was really starting to struggle because Now people were buying a lot more toys at places like Walmart and Target and even an up-and-comer, Costco. Mm -hmm. So also that same – around that same time period, this is according to the – I want to say the LA Times. uh, Consumer research had indicated that children preferred to shop at Walmart over Toys R Us. Wow. And I thought that was really interesting because I was like, are they being coached by their parents? Because there was (laughs) – my mom had to choose between taking my brother and I to – Toys R Us or someplace like Walmart, she was always going to pick Walmart. Like, Toys R Us was too much, right? It was screaming kids everywhere. Everyone's having a meltdown. It's too much stimulation. It's this huge, huge space where things can go wrong at any moment. Right? Yeah. Like, one of the original big box stores, in my opinion. Yes, for sure. So, Toys R Us 
ironically, is is losing market share to Walmart and to a lesser extent Target and these other places, which is just ironic after driving out all these other small businesses. It's sort of like how uh, Amazon is driving out, mm-hmm. like is real, you know, taking chipping away from all of these other like retailers that drove all the small businesses out in the '90s, right? Yeah. Um, so. On top of all of that, there's two other things happening. Of course, Toys R Us was unable to embrace the slowly growing world of e-commerce. It's a tale as old as time, right? Yes. At least since absolutely. the late 90s, right? We've seen this happen <laughs> to a lot of people. But mm-hmm. then the FTC filed a lawsuit against Toys R Us because Toys R Us was pressuring toy makers into agreements that would prevent them from selling to their competitors like Costco, Walmart, etc., which is very illegal, Mm -hmm. right? It allowed them to control what was available in the toy market and ensure that they always had the pick of the litter. And it also allowed them to control pricing. And I do remember something that my mom said to me when I was a kid that was like one of the reasons she hated to go to Toys R Us, which she was very vocal with me about, is that everything at Toys R Us was more expensive than it was other places, which I makes sense to me, you know? Mm Yeah, absolutely. Everything was really pricey. I, I honestly can remember, I can count on one hand the amount of times I, we went in Toys R Us. We like, yeah, we never were allowed to go. It was like a once store. a year thing. Like it was a special yeah. occasion. Like it, it had yeah. to be like someone's birthday or something. Um. So yeah, so Toys R Us was like really on the decline at this point. And they closed more than 50 stores that year and they laid off a few thousand workers and they were all like, you know what we need to do is we need to renovate all the stores. That's what'll solve the problem. <laughs> I know, love it, right? Uh-huh, and then they yeah. were like, and then we're gonna start making cosmetics and intimates. No, they didn't, but that's like what people would do now. Um, they were gonna put in like an Instagram booth like for an experiential element. Right, um, yeah. Right, and these, are, these things will fix it. iPads. Yeah, that's it, that's it, right? Uh, and free shipping for everyone and then everything will be fixed. Yeah. So, uh-huh. so yeah, <laughs> so, so they were like, okay, our business is in a bad place. We're closing stores. We have to buy less inventory. We're putting all this money into these renovations. Everything is uncertain. Of course, we now know Toys R Us went out of business. But so Mattel was definitely like hurting from this lack of Toys R Us business. And I think they probably saw the writing on the wall. So they were looking for a new revenue stream. And what they really wanted was something that would never be on the shelves of Walmart or Toys R Us in the first place. An American Girl with its catalog only business I mean, that's pretty appealing. I do think, mm-hmm. like, I don't have any proof of this, but I think they went to the Pleasant Company and were like, we're going to make you an offer you can't turn down. Yeah. They had a piece of paper. They wrote down a number, pushed it across the table, and, and Pleasant was like, okay, let's fucking go. Yeah, exactly. Let's take a moment to thank some of the incredible small businesses who keep Close Horse going via their generous Patreon support. Selena Sanders, a social impact brand that specializes in upcycle clothing using only reclaimed vintage or thrifted materials from tea towels, linens, blankets, and quilts. Sustainably crafted in Los Angeles, each piece is designed to last in one's closet for generations to come. Maximum style, minimal carbon footprint. Shift clothing out of beautiful Astoria, Oregon, with a focus on natural fibers, simple hardworking designs, and putting fat people first. Discover more at shiftwheeler.com. 
late to the party, creating one-of-a-kind statement clothing from vintage, salvaged, and thrifted textiles. They hope to tap into the dreamy memories we all hold. Floral curtains, a childhood dress, the wallpaper in your best friend's rec room, all while creating modern, sustainable garments that you'll love wearing and have for years to come. Late to the Party is passionate about celebrating and preserving textiles, the memories they hold, and the stories they have yet to tell. Check them out on Instagram at Late to the Party People. Vino Vintage, based just outside of LA. We love the hunt of shopping secondhand because you never know what you might find. Catch us at flea markets around Southern California by following us on Instagram at vino.vintage so you don't miss our next event. Gabriella Antonis is a visual artist and an ethical trade fashion designer. But Gabriella is also a radical feminist micro-business. She's the one-woman band trying to help you understand why slow fashion is what the earth needs. The one-woman band to help you build your own brand. She can take your fashion line from just a concept and do your sketches, pattern making, grading, sourcing, cutting, and sewing. The second option is for those who aren't trying to start a business and who just want ethical garments. Gabriella Antonis will create custom made-to-measure garments just for you. Her goal is to help help one person of any size at a time, including beyond size 40. To inquire about this serendipitous intersectional offering of either concept, DM her on Instagram to book a consultation. Please follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Gabriella Antonis. And that's Gabriella with one L. Gotta get that spelling right. Dylan Page is an online clothing and lifestyle brand based out of St. Louis, Missouri. Our products are chosen with intention for the conscious community. Everything we carry is animal-friendly, ethically made, sustainably sourced, and cruelty-free. Dylan Page is for those who never stop questioning where something comes from. We know that personal experience dictates what's sustainable for you, and we are here to help guide and support you to make choices that fit your needs. Check us out at dylanpage.com and find us on Instagram at dylanpagelifeandstyle. Salt Hats, purveyors of truly sustainable hats, hand-blocked, sewn, and embellished in Detroit, Michigan. Find us on Instagram at Salt Hats. Gentle Vibes Vintage. We are purveyors of polyester and psychedelic relics. We encourage experimentation and play not only in your wardrobe, but in your home too. We have thousands of killer vintage pieces ready for their next adventure. See them all on Instagram at Gentle Vibes Vintage. Thumbprint is Detroit's only fair trade marketplace located in the historic Eastern Market. Our small business specializes in products handmade by empowered women in South Africa, making a living wage, creating things they love like hand-painted candles and ceramics. We also carry a curated assortment of sustainable and natural locally made goods. Thumbprint is a great gift destination for both the special people in your life and for yourself. Browse our online store at thumbprintdetroit.com and find us on Instagram at thumbprintdetroit. High Energy Vintage is a fun and funky vintage shop located in Somerville, Massachusetts, just a few minutes away from downtown Boston. They offer a highly curated selection of bright and colorful clothing and accessories from the 1940s to the 1990s for people of all genders. Husband and wife duo Wiley and Jessamy handpick each piece for quality and style with a focus on pieces that transcend trends and will find a home in your closet for many years to come. 
In addition to clothing, the shop also features a large selection of vintage vinyl and old school video games. Find them on Instagram at High Energy Vintage, online at highenergyvintage.com, and at markets in and around Boston. Vagabond Vintage DTLV is a vintage clothing, accessories, and decor reselling business based in downtown Las Vegas, Nevada. Not only do we sell in Las Vegas, but we're also located throughout resale markets in San Francisco, as well as at a curated boutique called Lux and Ivy located in Indianapolis, Indiana. Jessica, the founder and owner of Vagabond Vintage DTLV, recently opened the first IRL location located in the Arts District of downtown Las Vegas on August 5th. The shop has a strong emphasis on 60s and 70s garments, single-stitch tees, and dreamy loungewear. Follow them on Instagram at Vagabond Vintage DTLV and keep an eye out for their website coming fall of 2022. $700 million was the ticket price for a pleasant company at that point. It only had annual sales of about $300 million. So, That's incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, so this is the end of the pleasant company era. And there were only, the there were two elements. Well, I guess there were three elements of the American Girl collection at that point. There were six historical characters, which I'll come back to in a minute. There were these newer, just like me kind of dolls, right? That were supposed mm-hmm. to look like you. I believe they were called Truly Me or something like that. They may have changed yeah. that name over time. And then they had these. I remember the first catalog that they appeared in, and I was like, hard pass. Yes. Bitty babies. Same. Bitty babies. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. I was like, no one wants these. Nope. Um, right. So, so Pleasant Company in that era had these six historical characters. They had Felicity Merriman, who I touched on, the pre-revolutionary war period the one who set her horse independence free (laughs) which i read that and i keep hearing that song wildfire in my mind (laughs) (laughs) which i've heard an awful lot because uh, a couple years ago whenever we would go on a drive and we would see horses i would immediately put on songs about horses to troll dylan and then it turned into a playlist on spotify about horses that we put on every time and then it turned into hey mom can you send me the link to the horses playlist oh so there you go everyone anyway so okay felicity merriman archived now um no longer uh-huh. being made um josefina montoya a Mexican girl living on a ranch settlement 15 miles away from Santa Fe during the time when the territory was under Mexican rule, only a few years after Mexican independence from Spanish colonialism. You can get her now. Spoiler, okay. her clothes are terrible. They ruined oh, them. No. She also had, I mean, all of the clothes. We're going to talk about it, but the clothes are bad. Yeah. They've They're been bad. fast fashionified. There was mm-hmm. good old Kirsten, like we said, not around anymore. Addie Walker, who who was a black girl, who at the start of her stories is enslaved with her family on a North Carolina plantation during the last years of the Civil War. And in 1864, she escapes with her mother, Ruth, to the free North. They arrive and settle in Philadelphia, and she spends most of her stories hoping to have her whole family reunited in freedom. I mean, this is like... Like, I feel like I can feel myself like welling up in tears just reading this description. <laughs> yeah. This is a really intense story and, you know, really groundbreaking that the story was being told in the 90s. I mean, it should have been told yeah, like hundreds sure. of years before, but like, this is where we are. Then mm-hmm. there was Samantha Parkington, who we know they just ruined her look, and yes. Molly, everybody's doll, Molly. <laughs> so, 
Mattel made a lot of changes to the dolls. Very noticeable. I mean, they really like Mattelified it all. It's so sad. It's so sad, right? Um, We'll talk about the clothing in a little bit, but one very big change that they made that pisses me off for a variety of reasons is that the dolls became thinner. What? Yes. And if you get really deep into the American Girl world, which unfortunately I have now uh, by reading (laughs) a lot of blogs and stuff about it, pre-Mattel is PM is the terminology used to refer to the Pleasant Company era. Sometimes people call it PC also, but PM is the one I saw the most. The PM dolls cannot fit into the new Mattel clothes at all. Like they can't at all. Um, they're thinner, their arms are thinner, everything is, is different, and they have smaller feet now. What? I know, okay. so weird. That's it's just like strange. they've been, like, male-gazed, you know? I just, yeah, it's like, wh- why? Why would they even, like, go through the effort? Like, it, it, I could see cost savings changes, right? I mean, I, I guess making them a little smaller, but that's not going to make that big of a dent in your cost. So it's like, clearly, they had a different motive, and that's what's really disturbing about that. It really, it really is, yeah. I mean, they've metallified them, for sure. Yeah. Um, Mattel also felt right or wrong that girls were less interested in historical dolls and instead wanted dolls that felt contemporary and look like them. And I'm saying girls as we talk about this because Mattel, at least then, was definitely looking at dolls as a girl toy. I mean, we're still... I know that Target has like ha- take has has had a push to make their toy department gender neutral. But if you go in there, maybe it doesn't say girls' toys and boys' toys, but like they're still very yeah. clearly divided, right? We're not there yet. We're not there yet. Yeah. And this definitely, we go back to the '90s here. We're definitely, definitely not there. I mean, like the whole girls' side of Toys R Us was like hot pink, right? I, well, I remember I I really wanted um, an RC car, a remote-controlled car. Oh, so um, fun. And I had to – I saved up my money, and I remember I think we went to, like, Kmart to buy it. But it, you had to go to the boys. Like, it was all boys section. The the kid on the package was a boy. Like, everything about it was a boy. It was, like, kind of weird. I was like, should I like this? Because, like, there's no girls. Like, not even in the commercials. They wouldn't even put – um, girls in the commercials mm-hmm. oh, for so the, true. the cars and stuff. Like it was just the marketing was very like A or B for sure back then. Totally, totally. I remember for a, about a year on the Saturday morning cartoons, there was a 30 minute cartoon that was 15 minutes gem in the holograms and 15 minutes Bigfoot. And I always thought that was so odd. Um, yeah. I read a couple years ago, how about that was like, considered like an advertising coup because you know spoiler for everyone cartoons were designed to sell us things when we were children like in a big way and they were like we get exposure to kids of both genders through 30 minutes straight so we can bombard them with girl (laughs) and boy toy commercials whereas i guess every other cartoon was very specifically programmed out in terms of what was advertised Right. And it's like funny. I mean, it's it's all there, guys. It's all baked into our brains after so many years of this. Um yes. so so yeah, so Mattel was like, we're gonna we're gonna de-emphasize the historical dolls, we're gonna make them really skinny. And I mean the I can't I can't say much about like the stuff that they made for the dolls, um, becoming less or better quality. The stuff things that I bought for Dylan, of course, would have been in this Mattel era, and the mm-hmm. quality seemed fine. Um, 
and she, you know, I bought Molly for Dylan, and Molly felt the same as far as I knew from my friends who had had Molly. Right. But somewhere later, I think, probably more like as we get into the late aughts, they yeah. began to really like, you can see that they're, I mean, I, I can see this having worked in fashion where every year it's like, mm-hmm. we got to make even more margin this year than yep. the year before. Yep. And so we're going to start using cheaper fabrics. We're going to make everything just a little bit lower quality. Like, because they didn't really increase the retail prices on the dolls. No. The, cheaper, and so, faster. Yeah. Yeah. But totally. Not better. Yeah. Like, American Girl dolls are cheaper now than they were when we were kids, just like fast fashion, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see it. Like, Samantha's outfit is terrible. All the so dolls bad. that they have brought back, they just like don't look the same. Like they just aren't they as nice. Just, they don't have as much accoutrement. They have like scaled back mm-hmm. the other stuff that is specific to the doll. And I wonder if that's also just because they have so many dolls now. Mm-hmm. Like I think how it was so like refined. Like you had six options and they really flushed out. They were buying a uh, deep, narrow, but deep. And now they're just like, all right, we're just going to just do a little bit here, a little bit there. And they're not like investing like when you had the catalog like you were you could wrap yourself in the story like between Mm -hmm. the clothes the accessories the books like it was a whole world and now I feel like that like looking at the website right now that's what's kind of lost is you're just kind of like bombarded by a lot of shit Mm -hmm. and it doesn't have that same like very cohesive message that the original American Girl had Absolutely. I mean, I th- I think like I would stare at these pages like I'm looking at some of them now like Molly's birthday story and like daydream about mm-hmm. all of the things. And there was a story about why each thing was there and the way yes. it was there. Um, yeah. It was not unlike a Jay Peterman catalog for children. <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, yes. It was very aspirational. They really put together a story there. And I am also spec. This is pure speculation, right? I cannot find this information, but I know you're going to agree with me on this. My guess is that the original incarnation of Pleasant Company was definitely, you know, bringing in a lot of sales and, and growing exponentially year after year. But I would suspect that the final profit for that company was pretty low because yeah. the product was really good quality. It probably didn't have that much of a markup in the first place. It was probably like 50%, like Keystone, right? Mm-hmm. And just thinking about all the high MOQs, minimum order quantities they would have had to produce each single component. Yes. They were probably invested. The cash flow was probably tight, is my guess. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sure. And, you know, they were spending money. These catalogs are so well done. I cannot emphasize enough how expensive it is to have a catalog business. You know, my first buying job for Urban Outfitters, we still had a catalog then. We didn't make any money off the catalog, but there was this opinion that it was aspirational and it it (laughs) told a story that bring customers into our store and I would laugh. We have so many meetings about this calendar, all this catalog all the time that were so stressful Uh, and you'd get the final catalog you'd be like oh my god that thing i developed is going to be on the cover the pic it would come and everything would be like all weird and artfully blurry out of focus because it was like the <laughs> hips hipstamatic era right uh-huh. um and you know and i would hear stories of people calling because you could still call and order this stuff calling and saying what is that thing on page one what color oh is god. it is wow. it a sweater or is it a sweatshirt like that kind of thing um yeah. this is like 
I mean, money was spent to translate this catalog into being something that children could understand, but that adults could look at and see the value. That's what I think. And it was oversized. Yeah. Um, and it was just so every detail was was on point. So I think that probably Pleasant Company, that maybe one of the reasons that Pleasant Rowland was like, yeah, I'm going to sell is like, well, I'm not really making much money off of it, you know? Like, that's, that's <laughs> probably possible, too. So Mattel, of course, is going to get in there. They're, at this point, like, highly corporatized. They think of the yeah. gazillions of Barbie clothes they're making, like, every year. And they're like, we're going to cut costs. We're going to make the dolls smaller also because we are fatphobic. Uh, we're going to make the clothes shittier. I would. I haven't seen a, a new American Girl doll. I wouldn't be surprised if their clothes were held together by Velcro or something because, like, that's the Mattel of it all, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And you can see it looking at the outfits, especially if you look up, like, say, look up Samantha on the website now and then look at the pictures I put in this doc of her. And it's just like, yeah, I just it like hurts me. You know, it's, <laughs> it's that, like that one in particular is just such a tragic shift. You're just like, mm-hmm. why? Like, it doesn't I don't know I, I, if it if it ain't broke. Don't fix it. Right. You know and the I mean? clothes that they made for kids were really nice, too. I mean, you can see it in the photos like you can see they're really well made this isn't like smoke and mirrors and you you told me that you had an american girl outfit so i sent you a text message with Mm -hmm. a i i was able to find a an old magazine online that had so it's a vinyl (laughs) wow aka pleather plastic you guys but i didn't know that back then so we'll let it go i'm sure you look great Uh, in this (laughs) It was yellow, though, so the, oh. the image is in red, but I, mine was bright yellow. It was a pleather skirt, like a little skater skirt, and then a a vest, kind of a shell with a zipper and, of course, like an O-ring zipper pull. Ah, uh, that's what I was picturing. Because it was, like, you know, 1998. Mm-hmm. Um, this is very in vogue. And then um, not pictured in that image is a turtleneck of a black and yellow. I looked like a fucking bumblebee, like a, <laughs> a plastic bumblebee. It was probably listening to, like, Aqua um, and yes. the Vega Boys on my, C- on my CD player. Um, it was just the time. And funny enough, I did, I watched a few YouTube videos and, uh, this YouTube video was from, um, 2013. So kind of new YouTube ish. Um, Mm -hmm. but the, the girl that's talking is a girl. Like you see just her hands in the video, right? You could tell she's probably like 13, you know? Uh, which I was impressed because in 2013, I don't know how many people now every kid has like a phone and a TikTok, but like this was back then. So, you know, mm-hmm. tip of the cap. But just hearing her, she got her hands on a, a 1999 American Girl magazine or catalog, and it's her just looking through it and talking about it. And she's like, wow, these clothes just so 90s. Like, oh my God, like, what is this? And like one of the, <laughs> this was like after they launched the new dolls that like could look like you. And so they had more modern clothes and accessories. So they had like a Macintosh computer, which was, and she's like, yeah, like computers back then, I guess like this was like when like computers were like coming out. And I was like, mm, 1999, don't think so little girl, but okay. But, it, you know, like, it's like an old school computer with like a giant monitor and all that stuff. And just hearing her describe the computer was just really priceless. So that's all I have to say. I 
can send you the link to it. Maybe we could put it in the show notes because it yeah, is Yeah, definitely. Quite definitely. I think yeah. this is like a okay. must watch. Yeah, I mean, American the stuff back then was just a lot nicer. I mean, I can look at the site now and I can see that it's not as great, even though like American Girl has like a collab with Love Shack Fancy, you know? Sure, yeah. And uh, like they very unfortunately did something with Harry Potter. I mean, like it's it's the I don't know, like they're they're making stuff. I saw the Harry Potter. I saw the Harry Potter. Very like, bad look. Okay. Yeah. Very bad. Like yeah. just like does not fit. Like once again, it's like, you know, I I feel like a lot of really great companies of all of time, they have had a concept and kind of stuck with it. And this is a good example of how like muddy the waters can become when a company's just like, okay, we're just gonna do like, you know, like we were talking about with the magic eight ball, like make a million versions of it and that oh. should be good. And it's like, no, totally. you've lost the soul of this company like it's just not there anymore absolutely so, i mean it's not about educating it's just about selling toys right yeah, yeah um so you know they were like okay girls don't want these historical dolls and they also were like you know another thing is like we we want to start creating like experiential things we're going to drop some money and say they started building out those american girl stores that mm-hmm. were less a store and more of like a almost like a theme park where you could buy things, an right? An experience. An experience, experience. yes. So yeah. they would have spas for your doll, <laughs> restaurants where you could you could eat actual food and your doll could have like fake food with you. Right. They had these sort of like doctor's offices in there that were, would do wellness checks for the dolls. Like, for example, you could get an eye exam for your doll that would include a pair of glasses for $10. I mean, it was like everywhere you went, you would be spending some money while your parents would be. Um, The one thing that they were trying to say, like, this is us holding on to our, like, DNA of education and history was that they would put, like, exhibits in these stores that would be like, come and see what it's like to live in the 1970s. Look at this rotary telephone. But, like, it wasn't, (laughs) it was like, but also, it's going to be, you know, $80 to get your your doll's hair fixed. Like, it was pretty, pretty ridiculous. Um, There was this article which I need to send to you. Uh, It was on RIP Gawker like Mm. 10, Mm -hmm. 15 years ago that I still read periodically because it makes me laugh, where (laughs) they went out for lunch at the American Girl Doll Cafe. Oh, my God. Amazing. Yeah. I would love to uh, read that. (laughs) As just two adults like on a date or something. Um, And the food was pretty good, they said. So, yeah. Um, Anyway, I mean, I'd still go eat there. Like, I was supposed to go to New York in August, but then I got COVID, so I couldn't. Um, but I was going to go eat at the American Girl Cafe just to know, actually. So. Hell yeah. Field research. <laughs> right, right. Really important. So <laughs> so they're like making making money off of these places. But they also probably, I mean, you know the story of brick and mortar. It is mm-hmm. like a money suck. So I don't even want to think about the amount of money they dumped into these stores. And they were busy all the time. But like yeah. when you put that much money into a store, you got to be like making – you need to have a line out the door every day basically. Just the overhead alone because they were all in like key locations. Yes. You know, like yes. they had one at the Grove. I don't know if it's still there. And they were multi-story. Just the, think about the amount of people that would have to be working on any given day oh, in one yeah. of those giant stores. Like that that alone. Like I'm sure they're paying minimum wage, but still, that's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. It looks like right now they have stores in Charlotte, Chicago, Columbus, Dallas, Houston. Wow, should I like go to Dallas or something? 
Houston? (laughs) They're both about three hours away from where I live. Dustin. (laughs) Um, (laughs) L.A. It says there's a store in L.A., but that's the one at the Grove. Yeah. Uh Yeah. That's where that is. Um, And there's a pop-up shop in Century City, just so you know. Okay. Um, Nashville, Miami, New York, Orlando, San Francisco, Washington, D.C., and uh, several in Canada, like six stores in Canada. Um, So, you know, they don't have as many stores as they used to. They actually have closed stores because, you know, like, I mean, we're, as we're going to get into, like, business hasn't been great for American Girl. And I think, you know, they, I, I have a lot of feelings about this. The internet has a lot of feelings about this. They moved away from the historical dolls. That was, like, a very mm-hmm. intentional decision. And they shifted into these contemporary dolls, both the dolls that look like you, which are called Truly Me, and these Girl of the Year dolls that just also sort of look like a, a doll. Like, she, they've got a backstory yeah. and accoutrement yeah. but like they're contemporary and then also they kept going with those freaking bitty babies <laughs> if you had a bitty baby and you're listening to this could you please send me yeah. a dm about it because i want to know like, about it why why like, let's say why because they were expensive for a baby doll and like i actually wrote in here as i was thinking about this i was like this is a bold and foolish move to focus on <laughs> contemporary looking dolls and baby dolls that can be per- because they can be purchased just about anywhere else for less money i went onto amazon and searched baby doll don't even i'm on a list now i'm sure um there were so many and like i know that many toy stores uh well not toy stores but like like big box stores with a toy department have their own version of american girl now there's one version at walmart that i saw there's another version at target yeah like the one at Target has like a, I think it's called like My Generation or something. It's like got aisles. They have a Meredith doll. That's the only what? reason why I know that because uh, years and years and years ago, my coworker was shopping for her daughter and she was like, "There's a Meredith doll," and like I think she had a sewing machine. And I was like, "That's weird. Did someone steal my identity? <laughs> like, come on now, I need to cash out. I need to cash out on that." Yeah, seriously, file that lawsuit with Target. <laughs> um, yeah, you know. Uh, speaking of Target and foolish lawsuits, um, my previous employer, my worst job ever, mm-hmm. um, filed a lawsuit against Target a couple years ago, I think just for press, um, <laughs> saying that they had stolen the idea of Wild Fable from them. Like, Wild <laughs> Fable is like their juniors line. Yeah. Because the name was similar. No other reason. Oh, my God. Just to, like, be relevant. I know. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Super dumb. <laughs> If you're enjoying this episode, then this is a great time to remind you that my work here at Close Horse is made possible by the support of listeners like you, just like NPR, and these great small businesses. Please go give them your support. Blank Cass, or Blanket Coats by Cass, is focused on restoring, renewing, and reviving the history held within vintage and heirloom textiles. By embodying the love, craft, and energy that is original to each vintage textile as I transfer it into a new garment, I hope we can reteach ourselves to care for and mend what we have and make it last. Blank Cass lives on Instagram at blank underscore Cass, and a website will be launched soon at blankcass.com. 
Located in Whistler, Canada, Velvet Underground is a velvet jungle full of vintage and secondhand clothing, plants, a vegan cafe, and lots of rad products from other small sustainable businesses. Our mission is to create a brand and community dedicated to promoting self-expression, as well as educating and inspiring a more sustainable and conscious lifestyle, both for the people and the planet. Find us on Instagram at shop underscore velvet underground or online at www.shopvelvetunderground.com. St. Evans is a New York City based vintage shop that is dedicated to bringing you those special pieces you'll reach for again and again. More than just a store, St. Evans is dedicated to sharing the stories and history behind the garments. 10% of all sales are donated to a different charitable organization each month. New vintage is released every Thursday at wearstevens.com with previews of new pieces and more brought to you on Instagram at where underscore st dot evens. That's where St. Evans. Country Feedback is a mom and pop record shop in Tarboro, North Carolina. They specialize in used rock, country, and soul and offer affordable vintage clothing and housewares. Do you have used records you want to sell? Country Feedback wants to buy them. Find us on Instagram at Country Feedback Vintage and Vinyl or head down east and visit our brick and mortar. All are welcome at this inclusive and family-friendly record shop in the country. Republica Unicornia Yarns. Handmade yarn and notions for the color obsessed. Made with love and some swearing in fabulous Atlanta, Georgia by head yarn wench Kathleen. Get ready for rainbows with a side of giving a damn. Republica Unicornia is all about making your own magic using small batch, responsibly sourced, hand-dyed yarns, and thoughtfully made notions. Slow fashion all the way down and discover the joy of creating your very own beautiful hand-knit, crocheted, or woven pieces. Find us on Instagram at republica underscore unicornia underscore yarns and at www.republicaunicornia.com. Picnicware, a slow fashion brand ethically made by hand from vintage and dead stock materials, most notably vintage towels. Founder Danny has worked in the industry as a fashion designer for over 10 years, but started Picnicware in response to her dissatisfaction with the industry's shortcomings. Picnicware recently moved to rural North Carolina, where all their sewing and accessories are now designed and cut, but the majority of their sewing is done by skilled garment workers in New York City. Their customers take comfort in knowing that all their sewists are paid well above New York City minimum wage. Picnicware offers minimal waste and maximum authenticity. Future vintage over future garbage. Cute Little Ruin is an online shop dedicated to providing quality vintage and secondhand clothing, vinyl, and home items in a wide range of styles and price points. If it's ethical and legal, we try to find a home for it. Vintage style with progressive values. Find us on Instagram at Cute Little Ruin. The Pewter Thimble is a curated secondhand shop based out of Rome, Italy. Owner Desiree Marie Townley has a background in costuming and makeup for dance and opera and focuses on dressing for the character you want to be in the world. Curated collections are dropped in a story sale and always have a specialized theme like the color palette of Starry Night, the film classic Casablanca, and the children's novel The Secret Garden. 
Desiree works with local artisans and pieces are rescued from markets and rehabilitated and resold with worldwide shipping. The pewter thimble is a collection of pieces that will have eternal style from the eternal city. Discover more on Instagram at the pewter thimble. Uh, okay, so all of these dolls are like kind of like not special anymore. I mean, this is the tale as old as time for every brand, every retailer that has struggled, yeah. right? They just like, they muddle it down. Like you said, it's all watered down. Everything got a lot cheaper looking. They moved away from the sort of specialness of it all. Um, and I will say like the prices, like I said, are pretty comparable. Like if you're like on a basic like dollar to dollar looking amount from the mm-hmm. 90s pricing. But the dolls in the 90s would have been $225 now. Right. I mean, that that is like... That's a lot. Now I know why no one wanted to buy me one. I tried yeah. to get everyone, everyone to buy me one. My grandma, who could usually be campaigned into things eventually, <laughs> never gave in. Yeah, like, you should know like, at that point. If shockingly. Not down. You know then. So yeah, I'm looking at the dolls on the website right now. Yeah. And if you want to get like the doll that comes with like a full on outfit and like a book, uh, it's a paperback book, I want to say it is one hundred and fifteen dollars, which is a lot of money. Yes. But like compare that to two hundred and twenty five dollars. Yeah. Like what I'm saying is like they were one hundred and fifteen dollars back then. But with like cost of living, like they were really so much more. Yes. Um, and I think that's another reason things are cheap. I, I, what I expect is that they were like, we can't take up prices much more. There's a ceiling for what people are going to pay for a doll. And on top of that, I'm sure every year they wanted exponential growth in the number yes. of dolls they were selling, which meant that they needed to keep that price low, relatively low, right, to get more people on board. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I also think that they probably leveraged the Barbie supply chain to make a lot of these clothes because they look like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's the thing about Barbie clothes is every time you would get something for Barbie, open the box and then really start to put it on her. It was depressing. Like it was never like how it looked in the commercial, <laughs> you know? Not. Yeah. That's like what it is to be a kid, right? <laughs> um, Ask me about the epic disappointment of the year my brother and I got that mousetrap game for oh, Christmas. Oh, see, that's one toy I always wanted and never had, but I know oh, exactly. Oh, me yeah. too. Every year I'd be like, can, every year, please, can we get mousetrap? We can play it as a family. I'll play it with Jared. I promise. I will play it with him every day if he wants. And so we got it finally from my grandmother, my grandma Doris, actually. Uh, And we were so excited. And then we were like, this game is so dumb. Like, it doesn't work the way it does in the commercial at all. Um, And we were always, then we just like would set it up to just like trap the mouse. We never actually played the game. It was really boring. Of course. Uh, But it was very, very disappointing. So anyway, all of this going on with, American Girl. And what do you know, In uh, this, after decades of growth, the brand sales have been in free fall for the last few years. <laughs> oh, I'm glad I'm sitting in, down. In 2018 alone, sales dropped by 28% compared to the previous year, which like gives me nasty gal flashbacks. Like I start sweating. Like I'm like, this yeah. is, oh, so you're going to go bankrupt <laughs> soon. Okay. Um, last year, as we got into like, you know, pandemic zone or mm-hmm. like we were in mid pandemic let's what let's say sales began to improve Mattel is crediting a more effective direct to consumer website because you know like they, they no longer have people coming to the stores I don't believe they do the paper catalog anymore unless you request it and so like they were really 
struggling to sell to kids. So they, their website is like, you know, it's for what it is, it's it's fine. Um, but I am just going to add on here that I think another reason that their sales look good last year is the revenge economy and the supply chain issues. And so when it got down to it, even though there are usually baby dolls and contemporary dolls everywhere to buy, there weren't mm, last year. Mm-hmm, yeah. And if I were Mattel, I would not be like, hmm, I guess we did it. Everyone go home. <laughs> you know? Bonuses for everyone. Right. I couldn't find anything about their sales this year, but it'll be something, some definitely something I'll be keeping an eye out for because I want to yeah, know. For sure. Um, so, you know, one question that you and I wondered, because these, I mean, once again, these dolls were $225 in today's money when we were kids. Like, do they hold their value? And I guess the answer is it's complicated, yes. like all things. Yes. Um, if you have a doll that was not played with, that is still in the box, uh, whose hair is still braided, <laughs> you might get top dollar for it from someone like me who never had a doll as a kid and wants one now. Right. Um, pr- you maybe could get $1,000, but more likely you're probably going to get like 225 If your doll has messed up hair or is missing articles of clothing, well, I hope you had a good time with it because no one's probably going to buy it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there is a whole like group, like I don't know, it's like a, it's it's its own subculture of people who are fixing up these dolls, photographing them, talking about them, talking about ways to restore them, make new clothes for them, all that stuff. I mean, major fans out there who were nostalgic for what it once was. And it's it's not just people like our age. Like, it's like young kids, too, who are like, new American Girl doll sucks. I want the old American Girl wow. doll. Okay. So there is like a whole community out there. So if you do still have your doll... Maybe you want to get it out and like spruce it up, you know, give her give her a makeover. Well, um, the the doll hospital, okay, that they you can send your doll to the doll hospital. I saw an ABC News uh, segment on this from <laughs> like 2015, and uh-huh. the dolls were really roughed up. I mean, these there there were marker there was marker on oh. the face. The hair was all chopped up. I mean, like these were not the historical ones, but they still look pretty bad and kind of scary, you know, like possibly horror movie esque. Oh man. And I mean, this is what it is to be a doll. Yeah. There's exactly. always that sibling who's gonna color on the face in a magic mm-hmm. marker. Yeah. The haircutting. Hair I mean, yeah. If absolutely. you saw my Barbies, they I was always trying to give them bangs. It never worked. It was just <laughs> oh, sad. No. Yeah, there's no yeah. way. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah. I I would sometimes like sneak in and use my mom's curling iron to curl Barbie's hair, which in retrospect, <laughs> now I know why it was oh working. It's because Barbie's hair is plastic. Yeah. Okay, I get <laughs> no. it now. Um but yeah, I believe it. A friend told me that her doll had to go to the doll hospital because her eye fell out, which oh, is no. horrific. That is horrific. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that would be terrifying. But the the transformation was um, pretty marked. They did mention that the American Girl um, store put up the cost for it for ABC News. This lovely anchor, you know, his his daughter is really left out. So I'm not really sure how much it costs to revi- revive these girls. But they come back in a box, and they had like a you know, a clean bill of health. And, you know, it was all very like, you know, uh, I don't know, institutional in a way, but very nice that they're able to restore these dolls. So if you do have one that's maybe a little worse for wear, if you want to 
bring it back to its life. The hospital's calling your name. They don't take insurance, though. I'm so sorry to let you know. <laughs> Classic. Classic. It doesn't matter because, you know, the, the uh, what is that called? The fee you have to pay? Oh, my God. Why am I blanking the on copay. this? The copay. The copay is probably <laughs> so high. Like, you're just yeah. like, I'll pay the whole thing. It, it's concierge medicine at American Girl yeah. Hospital. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally. Um, well, you know, American Girl dolls have not been without their controversy. I know you've got a few to talk about, too. Yes. Um, this year, uh, there was an amazing article from The Cut. I saw it. I, like, squealed with delight. It was called, <laughs> Did American Girl Just Out Molly? I got Ooh. very excited. I was like, oh, my God, gay American gay, Girl gay. doll. Yes, I cannot wait. So excited. So on June, this is from the article. On June 1st, 2022, the start of Pride Month, this is so funny. This is like people who are bad at the internet. You're going to laugh, okay? The American Girl brand announced via Instagram that it was re-releasing the classic Molly doll while supplies last with an interestingly worded caption. <laughs> to all the Molly girls in the world, we see you wow. and we celebrate you. <laughs> okay. So Got everybody's it. like, OMG, Molly is gay. This is the news we have been waiting for, right? Yeah. Disappointingly, this is the response that Mattel gave to the cut. They said, quote, the new Molly collection releasing today is simply aligned with when all of our new summer product is debuting. Nothing more. Wow. Sad. I, I'm still clinging to it. In my mind, <laughs> Molly yeah. is pansexual yeah. and, you know, looking for love. I mean, what except for when she's like eight or whatever. But yeah, when yeah. she grows up, <laughs> when right? Trailblazer. Yeah. Trailblazer Molly. Is, yes, for totally. Sure. So you mentioned one that I uh, remember like reading about a little bit, but like I think I thought it was a dream I'd had, which yeah. was about a, <laughs> the about a, Yes. Yeah. <laughs> tell, tell us about tell us about okay. her. So um, this, I think it was in the oddies they would release like the doll of the year like they still do but then they would also like have a buddy for that doll it was short-lived I guess they don't do it anymore but one of the <laughs> girl's friends was Gwen this homeless doll and her backstory was that um her father had I don't know been abusive or done something bad and so the mom took Gwen and they lived out of a car for a little while you know, before, of course, I'm sure Gwen escaped poverty and everything and had a wonderful <laughs> life afterwards. Yeah. Um, but there were a lot of conservatives that were <laughs> in an outcry and not because of the reason that you think where they'd be like, why, why would you have a doll that was homeless? They were like, no, you're making men look bad because the father like abandoned oh, them and you, you know serious? the mom forced the girl took the girl away from the dad and you know that that's why they had to live in a car like not what you were expecting but so, i i cannot remember what blog it was in but some conservative lady was like going off about um <sighs> when the homeless doll um so <laughs> I I don't know. Gwen didn't live that long. Hopefully, you well. Know. I mean, if she, in real life, she in lived real on, life she had a great life. She right. found her way to. Um, oh yeah, that was. A, I think part of the story is that her her and her mom found um, this you know home that was helping homeless women and children, and that they got off the street and everything was fine. So you know, Gwen was great in real in IRL, but um, in for Mattel, she got dropped <laughs> like it was hot. So okay. <laughs> she she was so she was in fact 
retired that year, meaning that <laughs> they were like, holy Damn. shit, we got to pull this. Yeah. Um, and this is so classic retail. I laughed when I read this. Um, after retirement, they clearly were sitting, which, okay, retirement, whatever. All these dolls look the same, just so you know. Like, uh, yeah. Gwen could be anyone, right? Anyone, She's got blonde yeah. hair, mm-hmm. brown eyes. Anyway, okay. They must have been like, well, we'll repurpose her head, her hair, all that stuff. But we <laughs> sure do have a lot of her outfit, which was like a white dress, a headband that could also be worn as a belt, and pink underwear. <laughs> and they were like, what to do with this, right? Uh, so instead, a year later, they sold the full outfit called Eyelet Sundress for Dolls for, uh, for a discount price of $24 with wow. no mention of Gwen. Wow. Yeah. It's just so classic to me. Classic. Rebranding. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it never existed. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, I'm glad they were able to at least shed that inventory when they could. But I know. I know. <laughs> I mean, listen, I'm like sympathetic to them because like I would assume that a lot of very they have to be very conservative about their decisions. They I'm. I guarantee a bunch of people at Mattel were like peeing their pants in terror over the implication that Molly might be gay. Oh, yeah. Um, but like, ugh, so ridiculous. I mean, th- anyway, I will tell you internet full of think pieces around how American Girl has lost its edge, has lost its integrity. Uh, you know, like the girl of the year is like starting an organic garden instead of like <laughs> running away to her freedom or seeing her best friend die of cholera. And I get it. It's it's different, right? Yeah. Um, definitely one article. I'm going to share all of these links of things we're talking about and all these think pieces. If you want to go read them for yourself, um, one article was like basically like they're soft now. They don't stand for things. They don't teach anybody anything. And I will say like to be fair, the educational uh, arm of American Girl seems pretty minimal at this point. Yes. They do still, like, if you go to their website, you can, you know, get the Truly Me, which the ones who uh, ostensibly look like you, although they look like no one. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do the Girl <laughs> of the Year, and you can do, they have, like, you can shop historical characters. Yeah. They also have, like, the babies and all that stuff. And, you know, like, I don't even know most of these characters. There's Claudie, who is from 1922. There's Courtney from 1986, who I did read all, a lot about. <laughs> um, Julie, who we both, you know, apparently are. Uh, uh-huh. Melody, who I want to say is from Detroit. It's 1964. She's part of the civil rights movement, or at least her story involves the civil rights movement. Someone named Mary Ellen Larkin, who is from 1954 and looks like <laughs> a mod cloth model. Um, but like from when we both worked there, not, yes, now. not now. They still have Molly. Uh Nanea, who I think is Hawaiian. Okay. They have Kit, Kit Reg, who people love. I, she always had the best stuff. She's from the Depression era, but like they ruined everything about her. I love her clothes by the are way, terrible. She had the best stuff, but she was the Depression era. I know. Ironic, right? <laughs> uh, sorry. I remember she had, okay, this is why I think she had the best stuff. So she came out when I was like, out of dolls she's yeah. like a late she's i mean a she's late like ad. a mattel era ad i would say ad. yeah yeah um but all like she for some reason i thought this was really cool she had a green metal day bed 
which I thought was very cool. Ooh, I don't know. Anyway, but she had the nice. best stuff, just like yeah. how Samantha, world's wealthiest orphan. Mm. Um, there's someone named Rebecca Rubin from 1914. I have no idea. I don't her know photo, her. she's pouring tea. They have Samantha, who they just totally destroyed. She's definitely wearing some dress from Forever 21. <laughs> they still have Addie, whose clothes also look just like bad. They totally ruined Josefina's everything about Josefina. Like, they just, I don't know. They cheapened her down. They have Kaya, who's Native American. That's So they still have these historical dolls. Yeah. But, like, their stuff isn't nice. Um, although, Courtney, the 80s one, has a really cute little Pac-Man lunchbox and thermos. Oh, yeah. uh, but, like, in general, like, the, I don't know. It's just, like, the magic's not there. And everything looks hella plastic. Yeah. Whereas, like, I don't know if the stuff in the original pleasant company catalog was plastic but if it was it was like the best plastic money could buy yeah absolutely i i want to say like one of the girls had um like a really nice bed like i want to mm-hmm. say like a little sleigh bed or something like yeah there's no way it was plastic like that was amazing yeah. um samantha had like a didn't she have a trunk like for clothing they all did they had a different yeah. trunk and i think that most of them were wood there's yeah. a lot of wood involved in their furniture. I remember that Kirsten had like a really nice wooden table with chairs with little heart cutouts. Yeah. Um, and like, I, I think she might have been the one that had the really fancy like sleigh bed. I'm not really sure. Oh, um, it was that's Felicity. Felicity. Felicity oh, had Felicity, a, yeah. a, a canopy bed. Yes, with like the curtains yes. and she had like an armoire. That is amazing. Um, Samantha, for her birthday, had wicker furniture. <laughs> I of mean, s- stuff was nice. Like, that is, yeah. you're not seeing that on AmericanGirl.com no. now, which makes me really sad. And I've definitely, there have been a few times over the past few months where I have almost bought a, a Kirsten doll from eBay. <laughs> but I'm you afraid. Know, I'm afraid. <laughs> listen, I think you should do it. I think you are going to fill this void that you've, you know, maybe not addressed, um, but it's there. And I think you should have her. I really do. I want that for you. Thanks for enabling me. No problem. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm here for. All right. Well, do you have any more important thoughts about American Girl that you would like to share? Just iconic. I mean. Iconic, yeah. Like I said, I could look at these images forever they're forever burned in my brain and I really can't think of anything else like this where it's specific where I can remember like I I'm looking at Molly's birthday story and I do remember there was a pin the tail on the donkey uh game that yes like everything was just so well thought out I I don't think I obviously didn't appreciate all that as a kid but it's nice stuff oh and I see the wicker like it's it's really a standalone company and like you said earlier the fact that this even got off the ground to begin with what like how did this happen i know it's Um, it's amazing i i can't believe it either um yeah i mean i'm just looking at all the stuff and it's so stunning so detailed and you know what else it says to me is it says like girls are worth nice things like this like they deserve these details and this thought and i'm sad I'm sad that it's not there anymore. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, we all need nice sh- things from time to yeah, time. You know? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I'm going to share some of these catalog images on Instagram, but I'm going to tell you, like, you can go find all of them um, on a 
blog that I think maybe is sort of defunct now, like nobody's updating it. It's called Lissy and Lily. Um, and they have all kinds of information about American Girl dolls, even like up until like I want to see 2017, all the regular launches and details about them. Uh, and it was a really, a really fun read for me. And they have been trying to collect or at least were trying to collect as many of the old catalogs as possible. It's, it's really, really yeah. incredible. Um, okay, well, I have one last question for you because oh you are, in addition to being the queen of Van Nuys, <laughs> you're also like a Halloween <laughs> costume queen. Yeah. So I wanted to know what are you dressing up for this year or what are you dressing up as this year? Now, I want to tell you, I really don't share this information out with many people. Um, okay. It's a, it's a very tight knit group and circle. Um, but I'm going to bring you into the fold this year. Okay. Um, okay. Tell I us. I feel like we just you know, we need this, uh, after so many weird Halloweens, it's going to be a real one this year. And I'm going to tell you this, but I also have not fully started on it yet. So I don't know how I'm actually going to make this, but here's my idea. Okay. Do you remember okay. the little, um, plastic candy pails that you would get from, um, McDonald's. Um, yes, because I was just looking at photos of them earlier today. And I was <laughs> okay. like, I was like, I wish I had these for some reason. Yes. What would I do with them? I don't know. I just wanted to look at them. Exactly. They were so well designed. They would be nice just to put in your house as a decoration, you know, like, oh, I, totally. I think it's great. So I'm going to try to make myself into the witch pail, which was the green <gasps> one. Yes. Um, I, I've, drawn out some schematics. I went to Home Depot today. I bought some very stretchy ITY green fabric. Um, let's hope for the best because I have no clue how this is going to turn out, but I'm sure going to try. <laughs> oh my gosh. I am so excited for you. Oh, I hope it works out. It's really the first time where I'm like, yeah, this could all just not work out and I'll be left with nothing. <laughs> but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give it my best, and um, the clock is ticking. We're really down to the wire here, but we're gonna make it happen. So I I'll be excited to share photos with you probably the day before Halloween when I finish it. <laughs> well, I'm excited. This is great. It's just funny <laughs> that I was thinking about these at length today. Yeah. So it's out there. It's out there in the ether. I guess it's meant to be. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, as always, Meredith. I mean, you, uh, what a great time we had. Just wait until we do our big Mattel tell-all. Oh, I cannot wait. This is so much fun. Thank you again for having me on. It is an honor and a privilege. Always an honor and a privilege for me as well. And oh. thank you, speaking of honors and privileges, to everyone else for listening to another episode of Close Horse. And we'll be back next week. Bye. Bye.